It's hard to realize that tomorrow, 22 years since that day in New York, and being that I'm still in my first year here, uh, I don't know that I've ever told you where I was, but I remember where I was. I had gone down to the Cleveland Radio Shack. There used to be one. It's not there anymore. And I went to get one specific small thing, and as you walk in the room uh, where the Radio Shack was, to the left was their wall of TVs that they were selling. You know, 22, 24 TVs on the wall. I got what I needed, and I went up, and I'm, I'm at the counter to check out. My back's to the wall, and the lady that was at the register screamed out, Oh, my gosh. As I turned around, I saw the image of the first airplane that had hit the towers. And, of course, I ran back to the office, and we watched um, as the day unfolded. We're almost two generations now removed from, from that day. And it's hard to believe where we stand today as America. It's almost like when, in 2001 when this happened, something brought us together and now it seems like Satan wasn't content and we're more divided today, I think, than we've ever been in my lifetime. It's a sad reality and I think as we talk about how you reflect back on a moment like that, there's been other tragedies, there's been millions of people who have died on the battlefield for the freedom in, that we celebrate in our country for the freedoms of other countries. A lot of us in this room have lost loved ones tragically. You've lost loved ones unexpectedly. And we stand here today, we stand not in a, almost in a moment of grief, but in a moment to say, you know what, we won't forget. Because as it said, there were lives that were lost that we could enjoy the freedoms that we have, but there was one life that was lost so we could find ultimate freedom. And his name was Jesus. And I think one of the problems that we face in our culture today, especially as Christians, and if I say this in a way that comes across insensitive, I don't mean it, but it seems like in times of loss, we forget the gospel. The gospel is the thing that gives us hope beyond this life. And so when we stand and we remember, when we stand in the midst of our loss, God wants us to remember that he's saving us from this. Right? And I know it doesn't take away the sting of loss, but it gives you the hope that you need to drive you forward to know that when you leave this world, your life just begins. And so today, we want to remember them, but we also want to remember, if you follow on Facebook, one of our sister churches that we have sent teams to for the last 10 years, New Heights, um, Pastor Mark, he won his battle yesterday, and he's in the presence of the Lord now. He may have lost his battle to cancer, but he won ultimately. But we want to remember his wife Alice, his son Collier, and his special needs daughter Caroline today. They've had a night to maybe sleep, but to deal with the loss of their dad. And so I want to invite you right now, whoever you're sitting with, I want you just to 
grab their hand. If you don't feel comfortable grabbing their hand, that's okay. Maybe put your hand on the shoulder or if you're like, you know, I just, I just need to put my hands in my lap. That's okay. But I want us to take a moment to pray. Praying that we won't forget. But as we remember those that have lost their lives for our freedoms, let's remember the one who lost his life so we could live again. And in the midst of our pain and our suffering and our sorrow and what seems to be a world going to hell in a handbasket, if I could say it that way, let's remember who the sovereign God is and that he's coming again soon. Father, we ask this morning that the peace of God would be in our hearts today. For those that are still grieving the loss at 9-11, would you comfort them? God, we thank you for men and women who have laid down their lives that we can experience the freedom that we have in this country. But God, we also recognize that in, the, in a moment we could lose those things. And God, you're challenging us that we would stand firm in the gospel. No matter what might come our way, we may wake up tomorrow, Lord, in persecution like we've never experienced begin. God, that you would make us steadfast in the midst of that. But we pray for new heights. We pray for Mark's family today that you would bring them ultimate comfort found only in you. And as days and weeks and years pass, God, that they would find their only hope in you. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much for being here today. And I'm going to try now because that's a very somber moment. Now I've got to flip that over. And uh, like a cheerleader, I've got to get you ready and pumped up to go. So I want you to take your Bible Turn to 2 Corinthians, and as I do that, I want to call out some special people. Each week, you may not realize it, but as you walk out this door, there's some people hidden in a box in the back. They make me look good and sound good. They didn't laugh at last service either when I said that. Either I'm uglier than I think, or I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But these men serve uh, heartily week in and week out to put things on the screen, to push our service out online, uh, to mix the sound, all the things that they do. And we appreciate them. One in particular today is Stephen Waters' five-year anniversary or work anniversary, however we sometimes say that, uh, being on our team. And so I thought it'd be fitting today for us to let them know how much we appreciate what they do. See, last service I could see the top of David's head and nobody else. Now I can see Stephen leaning over. Right there he is. But I also want to recognize uh, today we, um, we are, are honored and blessed by anyone who serves in our school system. And uh, this week they announced um, for this year uh, some folks who are teachers of the year. And I know, I hope I don't uh, miss anybody on this list, but some of those teachers are our family. So I thought it fitting this morning uh, that we could give a round of applause for Joanne Taylor, Brad Whitfield, and Nikki Batson for being Teachers of the Year. Um, and again, I know there's more than three schools, so we, we recognize them all, but we recognize all of our teachers because they have a very unique and special calling, just like we do at Ebenezer. Let me remind you, ladies and gentlemen, that we are a place of hope. We are a people of hope, and that should be what drives us to live the lives that we live, that we want to help others know who God is. We do that in our relationships. We do that with the people that we interact with. And you know how we do that? We do that because we own our faith. That my faith in Christ is not my mama's faith 
or it's not a religion, but it's mine. It's what I own, and I pursue Christ. I pursue God in my worship, in my praying, in my generosity, because I want to know him, and I want to exalt him. And in doing those things, we believe that we extend hope to a lost and a dying world. We are a people of hope. We are Ebenezer. And I don't want you to forget that. I know that the messages we've been preaching lately have been very reflective, sometimes on a little bit of like, wow, man, that's just some heavy stuff. I don't want you to forget that God has called you and me to bring light into a dark community. And each week that we come in here, the reason that we gather together, the reason that we do church, is so that we can leave out those doors and be ready to take on a world and take the gospel to the world. That's what we've been called to do. And I don't want you to forget that. We have a calling. When I was very young, I think I realized the idea of what calling meant. In the church that I grew up in, there was really only one calling that they focused on, and that was kind of sad to me as I grew older. They only focused on people being called to preach. Which if you do a little bit of textual study, you, you really don't see that. Men are gifted to do, and women are gifted to do certain things, but the first calling that you and I experience is this call to salvation. God's calling you to be saved. But after that, God has put His Spirit inside of you. He's gifted you to do things in the body of Christ and in your life. There's not this difference between the life I live out of here and in here. It's God has equipped me and raised me up as He's raised you up for service, to do and to go. And so God extends his calling to each one of you. The word vocation at its root has the word calling in it. So whether, I mean, you, you know, you look at guys like me and say, well, he is a pastor. He has a calling on his life. Well, ladies and gentlemen, my title has nothing to do with my calling. If you're a deacon in this church, your title has nothing to do with your calling. If you're a life group leader, your title has nothing to do with your calling. God has called you to go to a people, to serve a people, and extend a message. And that calling is for everyone who has accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I think sometimes we, we complicate that because like me, when I was a teenager, I grew up very insecure in fact, I grew up, I was actually quiet at one time in my life. It may be hard for you to believe that, but, but I didn't think I measured up. We've been studying um, spirituality on Wednesday night, and I have confessed to everybody that the negative message that constantly plays in my mind is that I'll never be good enough. And that started at a young age, and so I remember one day as a teenager on my 22-inch snapper riding lawnmower. Yes, I was cutting grass. It was summer revival in my church, and, and I just had this, this idea. I was thinking about people being called in, into ministry, and it wasn't just those who called to preach. I mean, I was a thinker even when I was a middle schooler. But I immediately went to this, that could never be me because I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I, I come from a terrible family. I mean, I had all of these things that flowed through my mind that discredited me that God could never call somebody so unexpected as me. And you know what? You're sitting out there today and you've thought the same things too. 
that God can't use me because I don't have a doctorate degree or I don't even have any education. Or, you know what, I can't put two sentences together and it makes sense. The greatest irony in my life is that I was a mathematician who went to seminary. In fact, my grammar was so bad. When I was in my last math education course, my math education professor came up to me in the hallway before class and gave me a book and said, you need this. It said, better grammar in 30 days. And so if you go to my office, I have saved every paper I ever wrote. They're on the bottom of my bookshelves. Three bookshelves. That's the, that's the kind of humor that God has. Listen, it was so bad. When I went to Dallas Seminary to take a summer class, I went to the cafeteria and was ordering food, and the lady said, you ain't from around here, are you? It was bad. It was terrible. And I, and I let those things set in my mind to this fact that I'm like, God, you can't use me because I'm not good enough. But you know, God has a way of unexpected things happening in your life when, they, when you don't expect them, right? Because see, I didn't watch my life as I stopped going to church, got away from the Christians, started working every weekend that I'd be standing in line to register for, fall cl- or for, for spring classes. And lo and behold, two people behind me was somebody that was going to a Bible study in my own backyard who would then invite me to go to Bible study unexpectedly. That I'd then get united with, with one of my dad's friends who was pastoring a church unexpectedly. That I'd begin to feel God calling me And still, as a 20-year-old man, stand there and say, God, but I'm not good enough. And you know the truth? I'm still not good enough. And you're not good enough. If you were good enough, you didn't need Jesus to die on a cross to save you. So I want to take today, and I want to dig into this idea how God calls unexpected, I, I call it vessels, But God calls us to unexpected service. Because ladies and gentlemen, God can use you wherever you go and whatever you do if you're willing to be a willing vessel that's humble. I know that I looked at God and I said, I'm unequipped, I'm unprepared. And if if I can be frank, when I would sit there and process this, I told God, you've got the wrong person. I'm nothing. But as I grew older, I was kind of like Job. I was trying to tell God how much he missed it. (laughs) I was disqualified. But sitting here today, some of you, if I can just be honest with you, you're lost. I want that to sit for a minute. You're lost. You don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe you grew up in the church and you were baptized as a six-year-old, but you're so far away from God, you wouldn't know him if he knocked on your door. And I don't mean that in a shaming way. I say it, I say it kind of grieved because I don't want you to have a false assurance of being saved if you have not come to the Lord, repented of your sin, that you're a sinner, and acknowledge that Jesus died on a cross to forgive you of your sins and was raised again to impart new life to you. If you're not saved then I'm begging you today to consider the calling of God to salvation. 
Some of you are thinking, you're like me, you're not smart enough. How could God ever use me? Well, he took a bunch of ignorant fishermen and turned this world upside down. So what's your excuse? Some of you in here, you're compartmentalizing church and life. That life out there isn't the same as life in here. So I can come in on a Sunday morning, but on Saturday night, I can be plastered drunk at a ball game. Because they're two different lives. Ladies and gentlemen, they're not. But God can use you despite your iniquity when you yield to the forgiving power of Christ. Submit your life to Him and stop living the best of both worlds and come into this one. The one that God has invited you into. Because God needs a church that's ready to go outside these walls and reach the unreachable. To reach the ones that no one else wants to talk to. To go to the ones that, that, are, that are destitute. The ones that are a little bit messy. God wants to call us out of our comfortability. But I have to come to a place where I'm tired of making excuses of why God can't use me. You know, I wonder if, I, I don't know enough about Billy Graham's thought life to know that when he was a 16-year-old man or boy... And he surrendered to the call of ministry after that community was praying that God would raise up somebody. But it says in, on his website, it says, In a time of burgeoning modernism and science and philosophy, Billy Graham walked into the woods one night seeking God's direction for his faith. And you know what his answer was? It was this. And he said, Father, I'm going to accept this as your word by faith. And I'm going to allow faith to go beyond, listen, listen, beyond my intellectual questions and my doubts. And I will be this to be your final inspired word. This. Whatever this says, wherever this says to go, whatever this says to do, that this is what I'm going to follow as the Spirit is leading your life as the Spirit is giving you the strength, as the Spirit is giving you the opportunity. The truth is, God calls us based on His goodwill and His glory, not on your own estimation. He's going to call you when you least expect it, and we need to be ready when He calls. And so, as Paul was writing in this second letter, to the, church of Corinthian, or to, to the church in Corinth, he was addressing this idea of spiritual arrogance. This idea that somehow, because somebody may have had a vision or a revelation, that they're somehow a better Christian than somebody else. And even in, an own, in his own self, he was confessing, I believe, this idea that he might have thought he was a little bit morally superior to others. But listen to what he says in verse number 7. If you want to stand... Come on, get a little bit stretch out before we, we plow in. I'm telling you, this is a heavy outline, and i got to go fast. So y'all buckle up. He says in verse 7, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of, what does your Bible say? There it is again, where God is taking uh, Satan's evil plans and able to produce something righteous and good. That doesn't make Satan righteous and good, but there it is again. To torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. And he said, I, can, I implored uh, the Lord three times that it might leave me. But then he said this, My grace is sufficient for you. 
For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, now listen to this carefully. I am well content. Some of you are going to go home today, you're going to eat lunch, you're going to kick back with a sweet tea, and you're going to watch football in your recliner. And you probably get the image of well content right there. But listen to what he was well content with. Weakness, insult, distress, persecutions, difficulty. Why? For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. He says, I have come become foolish. You yourselves compel me. Actually, he said, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. Paul got it. Let's pray. Father, as we dig into this for the next few moments, I pray that you would remove me, remove my lips. Lord, if anything would proceed out of my lips that is not glorifying and honoring to you or the gospel, would you shut my mouth? And God, as we plow through this and we look at areas where you called unexpected people unexpectedly, God, that we would consider that question in and of ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me just, just give you a couple of observations about this passage before we, before we go on, because we're going to be hitting a lot of Bible passages today. And by no means, by no means do I think that we're going to be able to read all of this. So you've got it in your notes And I want you to just take note of what's there. Take note of what's there, and then maybe you can go back, read that passage later. First of all, I want you to notice in this passage that that Paul had an issue, I believe, of wanting to exalt himself. Ever been there, done that? Somebody says something about you that you don't like, what do you do? You go into defense mode because you want to exalt yourself. And so he, he based this upon, I guess, an excellence I think an excellence of of spirituality or some spiritual experience. But notice this, though. He recognizes and realized that there was this thorn that God had allowed in his life to keep him humble. And for you and me, there's things in our life that I believe if if we're in God's path, in in his plan, attuned to his calling, I believe God's going to put things in our life to remind us of how much we are not to keep us humble. But in that, Paul recognized his need to be weak. What? That sounds weird. I need to be weak? Yes, I need to be weak. Because guys, listen, the reason we have spiritual gifts, not, listen, not talents. The reason we have spiritual gifts is so that God can do what he wants to do through us, not in and of ourselves. If we could get by in Christianity with our talents, we don't need God. But a lot of times we'll say, well, God, I can't do that. I'm not spiritually gifted to do that, or I don't have the opportunity. That does not stop the ministry of God in your life. When you and I step back and realize that God wants to do something powerful in our life that supersedes what we can do on our own, then I'll begin to embrace my weakness, just like he did. He said that, the, that outside of those thorns he had, he, he had these experiences, these contexts, his sufferings, and he embraced them. Because it's in our weakness that God is exalted as powerful. If God can work through you and me, if we're really honest and frank, despite our inabilities, despite our shortcomings, who gets the glory for that? 
Who gets the honor when God can do through you what you can't do alone or on your own? See, the truth is, if we're honest today, we are all incomplete. We are all incapable. Sometimes we're unlovable. We've got a terrible past. I don't know about you, but our thought life can be very shameful. There's a cliche statement that goes like this. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. What does it mean to be qualified? Does that mean because I have two degrees that I'm any smarter than than you? No, it reminds me of a story of a guy I used to know whose dad didn't have a seventh grade education, but for 40 years taught his Sunday school class with power, life change. Not because he was educated, but because he was dependent. He didn't put the, he didn't rest on his own accord. He didn't rest on his own ability. He rested on what God could do through him. And that's the question that's begging us today that if I'm here and I'm standing here today and I'm, I'm questioning, God, what have you called me to do? Lord, what have you put in my path to do? Lord, am I where you need me to be? That's the question that, that begs the answer today. And if I sit here and I just go, well, I'm not really concerned about that. I just need to live my life. No, I'm trying to compel you today to ask the question, what has God called you to do? Paul said this about his ministry. He said, you know what? I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's all that we need to know today. What, kind of, what, what would our faith life look like? If every day that we got up, we were just like, you know what, Lord? I don't know where you're going to send me. I don't know what you're going to do with me today. And I know I'm not ready for it, but God, whatever it is, drop me right in the middle of it. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm willing, God. I want you to use me. Because when God speaks to us unexpectedly, like Kevin shared, he's calling us to unexpected obedience. Well, today, God may be calling you unexpectedly in your own assessment of yourself. And what I want to try to do is show you it doesn't matter what you think about yourself. What matters is what God thinks about you. So the first example I want to give to you, if you want to follow along in your study guide, says this, God used Paul despite his past. If you read Acts chapter 9, verse number 15, what you find out is this, Paul is on his way to Damascus. At that time, he was known as Saul, and he's going there to arrest Christians. He has letters to arrest them, And more than likely, some of them be put to death. That's Paul. That's the Apostle Paul. He's on his way there. He encounters Jesus. He's struck blind. And he goes into the city. But in verse number 10, God speaks to a man named Ananias. And says, hey man, I need you to get up. And and Ananias, out of immediate obedience, says, you know what, Lord, here I am. And he tells him, go up to the street called Straight and go in and find a man named uh, Saul of Tarsus. Lay hands on him, and he'll get his sight back. 
And Ananias goes, all right, let's go. No, Ananias answered, like sometimes we answer, we have to barter with God, don't we? But Lord, I've heard about this man and how much harm he's done to your saints. And here he is with authority from the chief priest to bind us all who call on your name. In other words, Ananias is going, God, what in the world are you thinking? This man, don't you know who he is? Don't you know his past? But you know what? Ananias didn't know his present. Ananias didn't know his future because God then says, well, listen, wait a minute. You don't know. My plan for him is to go to the Gentiles. And your assessment of his past does not negate the path for his future. And ladies and gentlemen, us sitting here today, all of us have a past. Some of us have forgotten that past. But thank God we're delivered from that past. Couldn't God have chosen anybody else other than Paul? Couldn't God have chosen anybody else other than me? Go through the world and find the most qualified person to do any kind of task or job. And they've got a past. One author said this, he said, The Lord's work is revealed through events that overthrow human expectations. Humans calculate the future on the basis of their normal experience or past. These calculations leave them unprepared for the appearance of the overruler who negates human plans and works in the unexpected. I don't know what your past is. But I know what your future can be. If you'll yield your life to the one who holds our future. God is not calling you to forget your past. He's calling you to stop letting the past hold you back from what God may be calling you to do. And such was the story of Moses. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's home and he he kills an Egyptian taskmaster as he's whipping a Hebrew slave. And he runs for his life. And years later, he finds himself tending sheep in the wilderness and a, and a bush that's burning but not being consumed. And through that bush, Yahweh speaks to him. And he calls Moses to go back to Pharaoh and ask for the Israelites to be let go. And Moses wasn't as quick as Ananias to obey, was he? In fact, God lays it out that you're going to go do this. And, and Moses says, well, how, am I gonna know, how are they going to know that you sent me? You see, God used Moses despite his inability. So Moses asked the question, how will they know? And he says, well, throw your staff down. He throws it down, it becomes a serpent. He picks it back up. He says, stretch out your hand, and it's covered with leprosy. He sticks it in his garment, pulls it back out, and it's clean. And you would think at that point that Moses would be like, okay, I got this. I mean, you just did some stuff I could never do on my own. But no, what he says is this. He says, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, nor recently, nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And we do that too, don't we? We're like, you know what? I can't share my faith. My story has no punch to it. I can't. I can't pray and speak like Jamie and Fred and some of these other guys. I, I, don't, I don't have that kind of eloquence. I don't have that eloquence. I don't have that t- kind of training. I don't... I don't have that ability to think that quick. or you know, I just don't know that many people. 
And all the excuses we give that we, for why we won't speak for God, Moses gave the same excuse. But listen to what the Lord said. He said, who made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go and I, even I, will be with your mouth. I will open it and teach you what to say. It sounds a lot like what Jesus said to his disciples when he said, you go before the synagogue and the rulers and the authorities. Don't worry about what you're going to say or speak in your defense. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that hour what you ought to say. The total effect of this teaching was to encourage the disciples to testify of their faith in Jesus boldly when faced with the temptation to remain silent or to deny their faith. All disciples, disciples, <laughs> disciples need this encouragement frequently because sometimes we mispronounce words. Sometimes we get to talking so fast that we don't even know what's coming out of our mouths. The Bible also says that God delights in the foolishness of preaching. And what if your mouth is the mouthpiece God needs to use to speak to somebody else? To reveal the gospel to them. To reveal a truth to them. But as long as I sit back and go, you know what God, you can't use me because I stutter or I stammer. I just can't speak well. We can communicate with more than our mouth. See, he tried to argue with God. God, I, I, I'm not able. I can't do this. Don't allow your insecurity of speech to hold you back. What I want to challenge you to think is this. God, in that moment, would you give me the words to say? And he said that he would. And that's a faith issue. That's not a physical issue. Because then you can switch over to the story of Gideon. You see, Gideon, kind of in the same vein, God's going to call him to judge the Midianites who are coming against Israel. And he will. He's going to lead a mere 300 men against the Midianites and beat them. But Gideon argues something different. Gideon uh, begins to look at his raising. Not raising, that's a dried grape. A raising, that's a term we use in the South to talk about where somebody comes from. See, God used Gideon despite his raising. As God is speaking to him, Gideon says, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then is all this happening? He begins this kind of dialogue and say, well, didn't you bring us up out of Egypt? Why are you letting this happen? Well, we, if you study the book of Judges, it's a cycle of Israel falling away from the Lord and God sending people in to, 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 to overtake them and then God rescuing them and they repent and it's a cycle through the book of Judges and here they are in that cycle. And he's called Gideon and said, I want you to lead this out. And Gideon says this, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. Manasseh wasn't even a direct son of, of, of Jacob. Y'all know that, right? Y'all know enough about the 12 tribes of Israel to know that there were 12 sons of Jacob. But Levi, the tribe of Levi, was separated. And so Joseph, the favored son, had two sons, and they became equal with their uncles. Did y'all do y'all know that? So Manasseh was one of the sons of Joseph, and he's saying, "Look, I'm I'm in the tribe of Manasseh that no one's thinking about, and I'm the youngest in my father's house." 
You see, a lot of us will sit there and we'll look at our raising, where we came from. It's like, you know what? Well, I can't do that. Look at where I, look, look, at, look at who my daddy was. Look at who my mama was. Look at, look at the street that I lived on. In fact, there's a song by U2, the band U2, U2, okay? And they sing this song about where the streets have no name. And it was written about a place in Ireland where he came from where he came, and he was talking about your class was determined by what street you lived on. By how, about whether or not you would be acceptable in society. But he says, we're going to a place where the streets have no names. And you know what he's talking about? He's talking about my past, where I came from, my raising, is no reason why God can hold me back. I'm going to go to a place, heaven, where the streets have no name. If that's our heavenly home, then why do we live here in culture, in society, and even in church, judging people by where they live? Judging people by where they came from. My past, my raising is a part of who I am. But the Bible's very clear that I am a new creature in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. Don't let your age, your heritage, or what streets you grew up on hold you back from the unexpected calling of God in your life. You know why? Because David didn't let it happen. King David in 1 Samuel 17, he's going to help his brothers take a little sack lunch to him. And he gets there and they're all cowering in the tents. And he walks up and he hears this giant out there taunting Israel saying, come on out here, send your champion. And David's going, why are y'all letting this uncircumcised man do this? I'll go kill him. And everybody's like, shut this kid up. So they bring David before the king, and, and, he's, and, he's, and he's testifying not to his ability, not to his birth order, not to anything else. You know what? He didn't even bring up that Samuel had dumped a flask of oil on his head. He had been anointed the next king of Israel. He comes in there, and he says, king, let me tell you something. No one's going to go out and battle him. I'll battle him. And they want to know his credentials. He said, this is what happened. I killed the lion. Have anyone in this room killed a lion? Some of you may have shot a bear. I killed a lion and I killed a bear. And I'll take this uncircumcised Philistine out. You see, he didn't let what others think about him hold him back. He didn't care what people thought. What he cared about was being faithful to what God had put in front of him. Listen to this. The opposite of the fear of the Lord is the fear of man. No greater contrast of these opposing fears can be presented than when David confronted Goliath. Saul and his men feared Goliath, but David, by virtue of his fear of Yahweh, did not. Paul said to Timothy, don't let anybody despise your youth, but in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself to be an example of those who believe. What about you today? Have you let what people think about you hold you back from doing what God wants you to do? And I'm talking about even family. I have a friend of mine who grew up in a family church. And he fits the scenario that I talked about a little while ago. He was drunk on Saturday night and in church on Sunday morning. You know why he was in church on Sunday morning? To make his daddy happy. That was it. 
But there came a point when God kind of maneuvered some things in his life unexpectedly. And he left the church, and we were like, man, why are you leaving? He said, I don't know. This is just where we're going to go. And months later, I heard the story that he had, he had been radically saved and called into ministry. But you know what his obstacle was? Fear of his family. I'm speaking to you this morning. Don't let fear of family. Don't let fear of, of your coworker. Don't let your fear of man hold you back from what God may lead you to do. That could have been true for King, Queen Esther. You see, God used Esther despite her culture. And when I, when I was wrestling through this outline, I actually put race there. Come on, people, listen to me. 40, for the last 40 years of my life, I haven't seen probably what happened in the 50s and 60s in our country with racism. Queen Esther was raised up despite her race. She was in Persia. She's now the queen. And Haman had set up this idea to want to kill and eradicate the Jews who were not Persian. It was a race issue. Her uncle Mordecai goes, her cousin Mordecai goes to her and says, Listen, God's got you here for such a time as this. Her culture said you can't go in and see the king or you'll die. Her gender wouldn't allow her to go in and see the king. Unless requested. And the issue was her race. I think too often we let those kind of issues hold us back from what, what God wants us to do. And I'm just going to say it like this. I guess this is kind of one of those toe stepping messages anyway. So I'll just go ahead and offend you. We believe in this church in two genders male, female, the way you were born. But what we don't believe in is ostracizing people who are struggling with it. If we're going to be a place of hope and a people of hope, when people like that, that have gender dysphoria or any other issue, we're going to love them like Jesus loved them. If there's an ounce of racism in this church, don't expect God to send lost people here. If you, can't, if you think yourself higher than another people group because of your race... That is not of God. And then there's no reason why we need to go to Ensenada in a few weeks. We're not going there thinking that we're better, going to make them better. We're going there because we think we're less and we want to lift them up. Are y'all, are y'all hearing me? Because all the stuff we're experiencing in our culture can be summarized by one word. It's called sin. And the greatest sin is pride. When I think more of myself than I ought to, I should never expect that God will bless my ministry. And that's what Ebenezer is and will be. Because we can't be a place of hope if we're only a place of hope for a few people. We need to be a place of hope for all people. All people. Are you hearing me? And that does not mean that I don't have moral boundaries. That does not mean that we are not going to sit here and preach. Listen, a sin is a sin. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. You come, you meet Christ, you receive forgiveness, and you start that walk of Christ to purge the world out of you. But what we're not going to be is a judgmental place that pushes people away because they're different from us. And Esther had to embrace the call at that moment in her life to save her people. And so for you and me today as we sit here, are we letting culture, race, gender, anything else hold us back 
from reaching people that need to be reached. Because if it is, I, need, I really need to present my heart before the Lord and ask him to purify it. Tony Evans said this. He said, and he's talking about uh, race division. The more we are engaged, say engaged, in the ministry of, rec- ministry of reconciliation, the more God is going to be with us because we are reconciled to him. Therefore, that's what guarantees, qualifies us as ambassadors for Christ. When we embrace that, we must stand against judging others because of their culture or appearance, and I must stand confident in Christ and his grace no matter what because nothing qualifies me. I have a gift that God gave me of life, and that gift should be so sweet in my mouth that I can't wait to tell somebody else about it. And then I want you to think about Peter as I wrap this up. God used Peter despite his poor self-esteem. We don't know Peter's past. We, don't, we just know he was a fisherman, most likely uneducated. When he witnessed the miracle of the great catch, and he steps out on land, and he's standing there, and Jesus comes up to him. He says, go away from me. Have any of you ever told Jesus to go away from you, by the way? I'm just wondering. Peter was a hothead, and he kind of spoke before he thought a lot of times. But you know what? There's something therapeutic about what he said, because he said, I'm a sinful man. See, Daryl Bach observed this, that what Peter did, did not realize is that admitting my inability in sin is the prerequisite for service. That, that, since that, that way, I will fully depend on God and his work. Peter's confession becomes his resume for service. His humility is the elevator to spiritual greatness. When we rid ourselves of the notion that we bring anything to the table... God can then work in our weakness, despite our shortcomings, our ignorance, our lack of training, or our ability. God can show himself mighty over our past, over our family, over our birth order. Whatever blemish we bring to the table, God can work through that. And when he does, it's miraculous. Don't you want to come to church and experience the miracle working of God? Not just the oration of a preacher. Don't you want to witness something that transforms and changes your life? Then when I come to him in my weakness, when I come to him and admit, yes, I am messed up, it's in our weakness that God can use us. And I need to embrace that, acknowledge that, and know that God has rescued me from that. In our unexpected, God calls the unexpected. So what do I do as a result? I follow God, no matter the unexpected circumstances. God's going to call you when you least expect it. It's kind of like when you had babies. You know, your first baby came along, and you go to all these parenting classes, and you're like, man, I'm ready for this. I can handle this. And then you have that baby. And you change that first diaper. And you're like, I wasn't ready for this. Got any more wipes, hon? <laughs> I mean, it's a mess. And then you go through sleepless nights where you're sitting in a rocker. Your wife's exhausted. You're exhausted. You finally get to lay down, and all of a sudden the baby screams out unexpectedly. God's going to call you when you least expect it. And he's calling us today to be ready. So in this room, 
If when you came in, if you didn't get one, you get one on the way out. If we, hopefully we have a few more, but you should have gotten a question mark. This is not the Riddler. I know it kind of looks like that. But these colors reflect our purpose statement. When you see these colors, that's what it reflects. And, and my challenge to you today is this. Some of you in this room, like I said, you're lost. Can I just beg you for a moment to consider that? That you truly don't know Jesus Christ. You haven't repented of your sin. You haven't acknowledged and accepted that Jesus is the, Lord, the Son of God who came to the earth, died on the cross, was raised again. And by putting my faith in Him... I can have my sins forgiven, receive the Holy Spirit, and be with Him forever. You haven't acknowledged that. Today's the day. Some of you are in this room, and you know what God's called you to do. So I want to ask you, if, if that's you, like you say, you know what, I know, I, I mean, God's called me to be a pastor. I, I know that. If y'all voted next week to, to, to fire me, I, I'm going to keep pastoring people because I love people, and God's called me to people with a message. Positions. And jobs is secondary. But you know what God's called you to do. And if that's you, I want you to turn that card over and I want you to write what that is. I know God's called me to blank. And just write that. For the rest of you, you're sitting here today and you're like, I have no clue. I think God may be doing this or doing that. I'm just not really sure. Or maybe you are being called to salvation today. I want you to turn your card over and I want you to write down three little letters. I-D-K. I don't know. I don't know what God's called me to do. Or I'm not sure of what God's called me to do. If God's called you to be a bank teller, God's put you there where he's got you for a reason to be a light in a dark world. Now maybe you haven't considered that. So maybe you just need to write the words I-D-K on the back of this. Now, take this card, and you're going to put this in your Bible. You're going to put this on your dash. You're going to put it on your fridge at home. As you wrestle out, what is it that God is calling me to do? This is for you. And it's okay to say, I don't know. The joy of the journey is discovering what the I don't know is. So I want you to stand up with me right now. Fred and Crosby and I will be down here at the front. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're wrestling with a, with a specific call in your life and you'd, you'd like us to pray for you. Maybe, maybe you're like, you know what, I just don't know and you, as a sign of faith, just want to come down and, and bring this card and put it down here on the step and say, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do, but I'm asking you today to, to reveal it to me. And let God begin to speak to you. It may not be today, but as God unfolds that in your life and you're stepping into where God is calling you, it's going to make a difference. Because whether you remember it and believe it or not, we're in this together. We are a family. We are Ebenezer, and we need to be a place of hope. And part of being a place of hope is helping you know where God is calling you to be and go. So, Lord, as you speak to our hearts, as we get ready to, to leave and go back into the real world, Father, I pray that you prepare us and make it clear what it is that you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.